Chapter Thirteen of the Mountain Girl. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Herndon Bell. The Mountain Girl by Payne Erskine. Chapter Thirteen, in which David discovers Cassandra's trouble. After turning his furrows, David told Hoyle to ride the mule to the stable. Then he sat himself on the fence and meditated. He bethought him that in the paper he had drawn up he had made no provision for the use of the mule. He wiped his forehead and rubbed the perspiration from his hair, and coughed a little after his exertion, glad at heart to find himself so well off. He would come and plough a little every day. Then he began to calculate the number of days it would take him to finish the patch, measuring the distance covered by the six furrows with his eye, and comparing it with the hole. He laughed to find that at the rate of six furrows a day, the task would take him well on into the summer. Plainly, he must find a plowman. Then the laying out of the ground. Why should he not have a vineyard up on the farther hill slope? He never could have any fruit from it. But what of that? Even if he went away and never returned, he would know it to be adding its beauty to this wonderful dream. Who could know what the future held for him, what this little spot might mean to him in the days to come? That he would go out fully recovered and strong to play his part in life he never doubted. Might not this idol be a part of it? He thought of the girl sitting at her loom, swaying as she threw her shuttle with the rhythm of a poem and weaving weaving his life and his heart into her web unknown to herself weaving a thread of joy through it all which as yet she could not see he knocked the ashes from his pipe and stood a moment gazing about him yes he really must have a vineyard and a bit of pasture somewhere and a field of clover what grew best there he little knew, so he decided to go up and consult the widow. There were other things also to claim his thoughts. Over toward Wildcat Hole there was a woman who needed his care, and he must not become so absorbed in his pastoral romance as to forget Hoyle. He was looking actually haggard these last few days, and his mother said he would not eat. It might be that he needed more than the casual care he was giving him. Possibly he could take him to Dr. Hoyle's hospital for radical treatment later in the season, when his crops were well started. He smiled as he thought of his crops, then laughed outright, and strolled back to the house, weary and hungry and happy as a boy. "'Well, now, I like the look of ye,' called the old mother from the porch where she still sat. "'Pears like it done you good already to turn planter. "'There ain't nothing better than the smell of new soil for them it's consumpted.' "'Mother!' cried Cassandra from within. "'Don't call the doctor that.' "'Come up and have dinner with us, doctor,' she set a chair for him as she spoke, but he would not. "'As he stood below them, looking up and exchanging merry banter with her mother, "'he laughed his contagious laugh.' "'I bet he's tired,' shrilled Hoyle from his perch on the porch roof. 
he been settin on the fence smokin and rubbing his haid with his handkerchief like he'd had enough with his plowin you can nigh about beat him cass hisn don't look no better than what yourn looked here you young rascal you come down from there cried david catching him by the foot which hung far enough over to be within reach of his long arm he pulled him headlong from his high position and caught him in mid-air now how shall i punish you you better wallop him he ain't never been switched good in his whole life maybe that's what ails him the child grinned i ain't afeard get me down on the ground once and i can run faster than he can suppose i duck him in the water trough yonder i reckon he needs it he generally do smiled cassandra from the doorway come son go wash up david allowed the child to slip to the ground seems like hoyle is right enough about you though don't go away up the hill bide here and have dinner first david dropped on the step for a moment's rest i see i must make a way up to my cabin that will not pass your door how about that was dinner included in the rent and the mule and the mule's dinner and what is hoyle going to pay me for allowing him to ride pete up and down while i plow yes and what are you going to give him for allowing you to set his head round straight and what are you going to give me for allowing you to set me on my legs again if you go accountin that away i'm feared you're layin up a right smart adept to weans i reckon you'll use that mule all you want to and you'll lick him good too when he needs it and take care of yourself for he's a mean critter and you'll keep that path right where it is for it goes with the farm long's you bite up yonder you good people have the best of me we'll call it all even ever since i leaped off that train in the snow i have been dependent on you for my comfort well i must hurry on since i've turned farmer i'm a busy man can you suggest any one i might get to do that plowing miss cassandra here may be able to do it without help but i confess i'm not equal to it i be tellin cass that elwine timms he ought to be able to do the hull of that work widow timms is his son they live over nigh the garret place there at long pine creek he used to help frail with the still and then there's hoke bellew he ought to do something for all you done for his wife sittin up the whole night long and gettin up at midnight and run to them oh i hearin a heap sittin here things come to me that a way there ain't much goin on within twenty mile o here at i don't know they is plenty hereabouts owes you a heap i think i've been treated very well they keep me supplied with all i need what more can a man ask the other day a man brought me a sack of cornmeal fresh and sweet from the mill a man with six children and a sick mother to feed but what could i do he would leave it and i well i when they bring you things you take em you'll help a heap more in that way and you will curin em there ain't nothin so good for a man as payin his debts it keeps his haid up where a man that's good for anything ought to keep it i hearn a heap of talk here in these mountains bouts bein stuck up but i tell em if a body feels he hain't good for nothin he pretty generally hain't 
he'd a heap better feel stuck up to my thinking they've done pretty well all they could they've brought me everything from corn whiskey to fodder for my horse a woman brought me a bag of dried blueberries the other day i don't know what to do with them i have to take them for i can't be graceless enough to send them away with their gifts you bring em here and cass'll make you a blueberry cake to eat hot with butter melting on it and it'll make you think the world's a good place to live in i'll do it he said laughing and took his solitary path up the steep halfway to his cabin he heard quick scrambling steps behind him and turning saw little hoyle bringing cassandra's small melon-shaped basket covered with a white cloth i said i could run faster you could cass she sent some chicken fry he thrust the basket at thring and turned to run home here here david called after the twisted hunched little figure you tell your sister thank you very much for me will you yes sir and the queer little gnome disappeared among the laurel below in the morning david found the place of the widow timms and her son agreed to come down the next day and accept wages for work a weary spiritless young man he was and the home was as poverty-stricken as was that of decatur irwin and with almost as many children it was with a feeling of depression that david rode on after his call leaving the grandmother seated in the doorway snuff-stick between her yellow teeth the grandchildren clustering about her knees or squatting in the dirt like young savages their father lounged in the wretched cabin hardly to be seen in the windowless smoke-blackened space nearly filled with beds heaped with ragged bedclothes and broken splint-bottomed chairs hung about with torn and soiled garments the dirt and disorder irritated david and he felt angered at the clay-faced son for not being out preparing his little patch of ground fortunately he had been able to conceal his annoyance enough to secure the man's promise to begin work next day or he would have gained nothing but the family's resentment for his pains already david had learned that a sort of resentful pride was the last shred of respectability to which the poorest and most thriftless of the mountain people clung pride of he knew not what and resentfulness toward any who by thrift and labor were better off than themselves he reasoned that as the young man had been frale's helper at the still no doubt corn whiskey was at the bottom of their misery this brought his mind to the thought of frale himself the young man had not been mentioned between him and cassandra since the day she sought his help he thought he could not be far from the still as he forded lone pine creek on his way to the home of hoke bellew whose wife he was going to see david was interested in this young family they seemed to him to be quite of the better sort and as he put space between himself and the widow timms's deplorable state his irritation gradually passed and he was able to take note of the changes a week had wrought in the growing things about him more than once he diverged to investigate blossoming shrubs which were new to him attracted now by a sweet odor where no flowers appeared until closer inspection revealed them and now by a blaze of color against the dark background of laurel leaves and gray rocks ah the flaming azalea had made its appearance at last 
huge clusters of brilliant bloom on leafless shrubs how dazzlingly gay in the midst of his observance of things about him and underneath his surface thoughts he carried with him a continual feeling of satisfaction in the remembrance of the little farm below the fall place and in an amused way planned about it and built idly his castles in spain a bit of stone wall whose lower end was overgrown with vines pleased him especially and a few enormous trees which had been left standing when the spot had been originally cleared and the vine entangled drooping trees along the banks of the small river that coursed crookedly through it what possibilities it all presented to his imagination if only he could find the right man to carry out his ideas for him he would lease the place for fifty years for the privilege of doing as he would with it after a time he came out upon the cleared farm of hope Ballou, who was industriously ploughing his field for cotton and called out to him how's the wife she ain't not to say right smart and the baby don't act like he's well neither sir right on to the house and light she's there and i'll be up directly thring rode on and dismounted tying his horse to a sapling near the door the place was an old one a rose vine very ancient covered the small porch and the black old moss-grown roof the small green foliage had come out all over it in the week since he was last there the glazed windows were open and white homespun curtains were swaying in the light breeze a small fire blazed on the hearth and before it in a huge splint-bottomed rocking-chair the pale young mother reclined languidly wrapped in a patchwork quilt the hearth was swept and all was neat but very bare close to the black fireplace on a low chair with the month-old baby on her knees sat cassandra she was warming something at the fire which she reached over to stir now and then while the red light played brightly over her sweet grave face very intense she was and lovely to see she wore a creamy white homespun gown coarse in texture such as she had begun to wear about the house since the warm days had come thring had seen her in such a dress but once before and he liked it with one arm guarding the little bundle in her lap dividing her attention between it and the porridge she was making she sat a living embodiment of david's vision silhouetted against and haloed by the red fire softened by the blue obscuring smoke wreaths that slowly circled in great rings and then swept up the wide overarching chimney he heard her low voice speaking and his heart leaped toward her as he stood an instant unheeded by them ere he rapped lightly they both turned with a slight start cassandra rose holding the sleeping babe in the hollow of her arm and set a chair for him before the fire then she laid the child carefully in the mother's arms and removed the porridge from the fire shall i call hope she asked moving toward the door david did not want her to leave them loving the sight of her don't go i saw him as i came along he said but she went on and sat herself on a seat under a huge locust tree tardiest of all the trees it had not yet leafed out later it would be covered with a wealth of sweet white blossoms swarming with honey-bees and the air all about it would be filled with its lavish fragrance 
and the noise of humming wings. Presently, Hoke came plodding up from the field and smiled as he passed her. Doc inside? he asked. She nodded. When David came out, he found her still seated there, her head resting wearily against the rough tree. She rose and came toward him. I thought I wouldn't leave until I knew if there was anything more I could do, she said simply. No, you've done all you can. She'll be all right. Where's your horse? I walked. Why did you do that? You ought not, you know. Hoyle rode the coat down to see could Aunt Sally come here for a day or two till Miss Ballou can do for herself better. She turned back to the house. Come home now with me. Ride my horse and I'll walk. I'd like to walk, urged David. Oh, no. Thank you, doctor. I must speak to Azalee first. Don't wait. She went in, and David mounted and rode slowly on, but not far. Where the trail led through a small stream which he knew she must cross, he dismounted and allowed the horse to drink while he stood looking back along the way for her to come to him. Soon he saw her white dress among the glossy rhododendron leaves as she moved swiftly along, and he walked back to meet her. I have waited for you. You're not used to this kind of saddle, I know, but what's the difference? You can ride cross-saddle, as the young ladies do in the north, can't you? I reckon I could, she laughed a little. Do they ride that way where you come from? It must look right funny. I don't guess I'd like it. But just try, to please me. Why not? If you don't mind, I'd rather walk, please, sir. Don't wait. Then I will walk with you. I may do that, may I not? He caught the bridle rein on the saddle, leaving the horse to browse along behind as he would, and walked at her side. She made no further protest, but was silent. You don't object to this, do you? he insisted. It's pleasanter than being alone, but it's right far to walk, seems like, for you. Then why not for you? She smiled her mysterious, quiet smile. You must know that I am stronger than you, he persisted. I ought to think so, since the day we rode over to Kate Irwin's. But I was right afraid for you that time, lest you get cold. And then it was me. She paused and looked squarely in his eyes and laughed. You wouldn't say, it was me, would you? He joined merrily in her laughter. I never corrected you on that. You never did, but you didn't need to. I often know after I've said something not right, as you would say it. Do you indeed? He walked nearer, boyishly happy because she was close beside him. He wanted to touch her, to take her hand and walk as children do, but could not because of the subtle barrier he felt between them. He determined to break it down. Finish what you were saying. And then it was me... What? And then it was I who gave out, not you. But you were a heroine, a heroine from the ground up, and I love you. He spoke with such boyish impulsiveness that she took the remark as one of his extravagances and merely smiled indulgently, as if amused at it. She did not even flush, but accepted it as she would an outburst from Hoyle. David was amazed. 
it only served to show him how completely outside that charmed circle within which she lived he still was he was maddened by it he came nearer and bent to look in her face until she lifted her eyes to look fairly in his that's right look at me and understand me i waited there only that i might tell you why do you put a wall between us i tell you i love you i love you cassandra do you understand she stood quite still and gazed at him in amazement almost as if in terror her face grew white and she pressed her two hands to her heart then slowly slid them up to her round white throat as if it hurt her a movement he had seen in her twice before when suffering emotion why cassandra does it hurt you for me to tell you that i love you beautiful girl does it yes sir she said huskily he would have taken her in his arms but refrained for very love of her she should be sacred even from his touch if she so wished and the barrier whatever it might be should halo her he had spoken so tenderly he had no need to tell her the love was in his eyes and his voice but he went on then i must be cruel and hurt you i love you all the days and the nights all the moments of the days i love you in very terror she flung out her hands and placed them on his breast holding him thus at arm's length and with head thrown back still looked into his eyes piteously imploringly with trembling lips she seemed to be speaking but no voice came he covered her hands with his and held them where she had placed them you have put a wall between us why have you done it i didn't didn't know i thought you were as far as far away from us as the star the star of gold is from our world in the night so far i didn't guess you could come so near she bowed her head and wept you are the star yourself you beautiful you are but she stopped him crying out she could not draw her hands away for he still held them clasped to his heart no no the wall is there it must be between us for always i am promised the grief wailed and wept in her tones and her eyes were wide and pleading i must lead my life and you you must stay outside the wall if you love me doctor you must never know it and i must never know it her beating heart stopped her speech and they both stood thus a moment each seeing only the other so promised the word sank into his heart like lead promised slowly he released her hands and she covered her face with them and sank at his feet he bent down to her and asked almost in a whisper promised did you say that word she drooped lower and was silent all the chivalry of his nature rose within him should he come into her life only to torment and trouble her ought he to leave the place could he bear to live so near her what had she done this flower was she to be devoured by swine the questions clamoured at the door of his heart but one thing could he see clearly he must wait without the wall seeking only to serve and protect her with the unerring instinct which led her always straight to the mark she had seen the only right course 
he repeated her words over and over to himself if you love me you must never know it and i must never know it her heart should be sacred from his personal intrusion and their old relations must be re-established at whatever cost to himself with flashlight clearness he saw his difficulty and that only by the elimination of self could he serve her and also that her manner of receiving his revelation had but intensified his feeling for her the few short moments seemed hours of struggle within himself ere he raised her to her feet and spoke slowly in his old way he lifted her hand to his lips it is past miss cassandra we will drop these last few moments out of your life into a deep well and it shall be as if they had never been he thought as he spoke that the well was his own heart but that he must not say for henceforth his love and service must be selfless we may be good friends still just as we were yes sir she spoke meekly and we can go right on helping each other as we have done all these weeks i do not need to leave you oh no no she spoke with a gasp of dismay at the thought it won't hurt so much if i can see you going right on getting strong like you have been and being happy and she paused in her slowly trailing speech and looked about her they were down in a little glen and there were no mountain tops in sight for her to look up to as was her custom and what cassandra finish what you were saying still for a while she was silent and they walked on together and now won't you say what you were going to say he could not talk himself and he longed to hear her voice i was thinking of the music you made it was so glad i can't talk and, and say things what i think like you do but seems like it won't hurt me so here she put her hand to her throat where it always hurts me when i'm sorry at anything if i can hear you glad in the music like you were that night i thought you were the voices cassandra i shall be glad for you always she looked into his eyes an instant with the clear light of understanding in her own but for you it is for you i want it to be glad End of chapter thirteen